Today, uh, I'm also excited because we're kicking off a series that we're calling Vintage Christmas. And I and some of the other pastors over the next month are going to look at the many things that make Christmas so special, so memorable. Why is Christmas something that we look forward to? And I don't just mean from a theological or biblical perspective, but what, what is it about the season that we just enjoy? And what might God have to say about those things? So we're going to talk about celebration and jubilation. We're going to talk about generosity and why it's the season of giving. We're going to talk about how it's a season of reflection where you evaluate uh, you loving the babe of Bethlehem and serving Jesus and why he came. On Christmas Eve, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service, and we're going to talk about how Christmas is more than pageantry. I mean, you're going to bake goodies and you're going to deck the halls, but it's more than that. It's about loving the Lord. Now, today, I want to kick off by talking to you about family. Because family is one of the things that makes Christmas great. And specifically, I want to talk to you about how do you fight to make your family something special? And I hope you make the commitment to do that this Christmas. And I hope you internalize this message because I think God might want to speak something to you. You see, I use the word fight intentionally. Here's why. Families don't become great families by accident. By accident, families are average at best. But if you want to be a great family, you're going to have to fight for that. You know why? Because there are all kinds of forces that are working against your family in society today. There are spiritual forces and pressures working against your family. There are moral forces that are working against your family. There are cultural and social forces that work against the family. For some of you, there are economic forces that are working against your family. Now, I want you to look at a fantastic scripture as we open because it reveals something to us. It's so powerful. It's in the book of Nehemiah, and it's looking at the people of Israel. And I want for you to notice that Nehemiah is rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem He's trying to restore Jerusalem because it's broken down. And notice what he says in chapter 4. He says, therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. Now, it could be that in your family you have broken walls and you have exposed places. If you will indulge me the metaphor. This is, of course, speaking about the people of Israel. But as Nehemiah wants to rebuild that which is broken, notice what he says. He says, they went to the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, and he posted them there by what? By families. With their swords and their spears and their bows. And he says, after I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Who are them? Them are the invaders those pressures, those forces that had annihilated the people of Israel. He says, don't be afraid of them as you rebuild. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then it uses these two words. Let's read it together. It says, and fight. Fight for your brothers, your sons, 
fight for your daughters and your wives and your homes. What is it that Nehemiah is saying? Friends, listen to me. You got to get this. Ultimately, Nehemiah is saying, your family is worth fighting for. So he says, so fight. Fight for your brothers. Your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. What he's saying is, don't give up. Don't just concede. Don't just say, oh, well, the walls are broken. They can't change. My life can't be any different. It's too late for my family. We've already gone too far. No, no, no. He says, you take up some weapons. You take up swords. You take up spears. You take up bows. It's not too late, no matter where you are. And I want to say to you and your families, if you'll indulge the metaphor, no matter where you are or how broken it is, it is not too late. Guys, from my heart, This Christmas, I want to encourage you to renew your commitment to put up a fight for your family and that you would make it a great fight. Now, of course, in order to teach you how to make it a great fight, I just want to show you four things that touch my heart, four symbols. I actually heard this years ago, and because I want it to stick... And because I want you to take this this Christmas, and I want you to be thinking about the end of 2021, and I want you to think about 2022, and how is 2022 going to be better? How is it going to be different? By the way, we're going to be reminding you of that. What habits are going to change next year? What new, what new ground are you going to take for holiness? What new ground are you going to take for purity and righteousness? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will see the kingdom of God. What new ground are you going to take for Jesus Christ in your family or in your lives? Now, I'm going to give you some symbols. Now, so basically, I'm going to tell you how to make it a great fight. And to help you to remember, let me give you some of these. Here's the first symbol I want to show you. Anybody recognize this, by the way? (laughs) This is a board game that's called what? How many of you remember the board game Candyland? Come on, show it to me, show it to me. How many of you wish you could forget Candyland? Come on, show it to me. How many of you wish you never had to play this again? (laughs) I saw preschool moms, amen, amen, I see you, I see you. All, 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 All sorts of people have played this game, and it doesn't require a lot of intelligence to play this game. In fact, it says uh, three years and up. But why does this game represent family? Here's the first reason, write it down. If you're going to make a great family and you want to put up a great fight, write this down. Great families, first of all, are playful families. It's the first common denominator of great families, that they know how to play, that they know how to have fun together. They enjoy their life together. Now you say, Pastor, why are you bringing this up? Here's why. The missing ingredient in so many families today is enjoying life together. Why? Because families are too busy. Families are too tired. Families are too negative. Families are too worn out. Some of your families are just too serious. Let me just tell you, the average family is all work and no play. The average family is just, you know, we have to get to the next appointment. Some of you wonder why your kids want to stay home in the after school program to the last possible minute. Because who wants to come home to that? Who wants to come home to all work and no play all the time? Now, 
The wisest man that ever lived was a man by the name of Solomon, and he was wrestling with some things in his wisdom. But one of the things that he says that's really good is he says, I recommend having fun. In fact, some of you should just circle having fun and enjoying life. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying your family shouldn't just be a boot camp. Parents, you shouldn't be the drill sergeants. Listen to me, parents. Your family is not a business, and you're not the CEOs. Don't make that mistake. Now, by the way, I went around and I I interviewed some of the kids around North Point to find out how much fun is your family, and I may have actually caught your kid. And uh, if I did, I want to apologize in advance, but here's, here's the thing. You have to forgive me. The Bible says so. So... Here we go. Take a look at this. What do your families do for fun? Just take a look at this. Um, every Christmas, we each get a new ornament for the tree. We go to my grandma's house for Thanksgiving. I go to my grandma's house together. We play and watch We paint rocks. We then we eat some pumpkin pie and then we go play bingo. Uh, we uh, have our family over. Oh, uh, we go to the desert to ride dirt bikes. Um, we um, do a lot of sports. Like I play baseball, basketball, soccer, and a lot of other sports. Um, we um, like doing crafts and art projects and. We also like swimming in our pool. What I like to do, like, what I like to do is I um, usually play sports and do um, art crafts like him because he's my brother. <laughs> Again, you should circle. Some of you have fun together because, listen, God wants life to be enjoyed, not just endured. And some of you, your problem in your household is all you do is endure life. That's it. Notice, in fact, how Paul writes in the book of 1 Timothy, and he's talking to the church, and he says, command those who are rich in this present world. That would be like Americans, those who have a lot of wealth, who have a lot of options. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in what? Now, part of the reason we're so busy is because we do that. We're working so hard to get more and have more and do more. Part of it is because we've put, our, we've put our hope there. But he says, command those who are rich not to make that mistake because wealth is so uncertain, it says. But put your hope in God, notice, who richly provides us with everything for our what? Our enjoyment. Our enjoyment. See, and here's what I'd say. If you're too busy to enjoy life, guys, you're just too busy. Solomon goes on in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and he says, Rejoice, young man, in your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. There is balance there, isn't there? So remove grief and anger from your heart and put pain away from your body, because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Why is it fleeting? Guys, Because you don't know how long you're going to live. 
Why is it important for you to enjoy every day? It's because you don't know if you're going to be gone next week. You don't know if you've got next month. You don't know if you've got tomorrow. By the way, I have sat by hundreds of bedsides in the last 27 years being a pastor. I have gone to more hospice, more homes, and I've sat next to people that are dying. I've never had one person say to me on their deathbed, oh, I wish I'd have just made more money. You know, I've never had anybody say to me, oh, I wish I could have worked just one more day. Oh, I just wish I could have mowed the lawn just one more time. Oh, if I could have washed the dishes just a little bit more. But I have had people say, I wish I would have spent more time with my loved ones, with my kids, with my dad, with my mom. I promise you, those are going to be the thoughts that you're having when it's all done. By the way, my kids, when they were growing up, I have three kids. I have one that's grown up and out the door. He's married. I have another one that's a teenage daughter, 17. She is absolutely amazing. Spitfire redhead, just like mommy. And then I have another one who's seven years old, who's just unbelievable. He's my victory lap. And uh, so I've got all ages. But I'm going to tell you the one thing, I'd say one thing I want them to know about our family, it's not that we're religious, I want them to know Jesus, but I don't want them to know that we're religious. I don't want them to think, oh, they're smart. I certainly don't care if they think we're successful. But what I would want them to know is that they're loved and that we've had fun together. Why? Here's why. This is so important. If you just write this sentence down, because what I'm going to give you is great advice, whether you're a parent or whether you're a brother, whether you're a sister, whether you're a mother, whether you're a father. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are in the family. I'm about to give you good advice. Are you ready? Everybody say, I'm ready. ready. Write this down. People will not remember what you say, but they will remember how you made them feel. Would you write that down? People don't remember nearly as much about what you say. See, we take so much pride in what we know, what we tell people, the knowledge that we have. The reality is the effect you have on people is going to be far more related to how you make them feel. You know, my daughter, bless her heart, she has this memory of dad in the hallway of her house when she was a little girl. And man, according to her, I laid into her. And for all I know, I did. I, I don't really have the memory of that. But boy, I let her have it. Now, part of the reason she remembers that is because, you know, I'm not a very tall guy. I'm only like six foot one. But <laughs> why'd you laugh at that? <laughs> no. I, I'm not a tall guy. But I'm just going to say to you, uh, when I'm disciplining my daughter at her age, when she was four or five years old, man, I'm a giant. And of course, I'm a man, so I have a big, loud voice. And I have a, I'm a preacher. I have a really big, loud voice. But you know, I don't remember what I said to her. And I'm going to tell you to this day, she doesn't remember what I said to her, but she definitely remembers how I made her feel. Do you know that? And she's in professional therapy for it today. So if you want to save money... <laughs> they remember that stuff. And this is great advice, by the way, if you're a boss or you're an employer or you're a husband, you're a boyfriend, you're a girlfriend, you're a parent, whatever it is. You know, it's funny because I talk to guys all the time and guys say things like they say, I don't get it. 
Here they are, a successful businessman, and they say, Pastor, I don't get it. I buy my wife things, and I buy my kids toys and things, and I give them everything that they need, and I give them everything that they want. And they say, they still say that I didn't give them what they needed. And I say, well, I'll tell you what they want. They want you. They want your attention. They want your focus. Listen to me, parents. What do your kids want? They want your eyes. They want your eyes on them. They want your time. By the way, do you know how to spell love? T-I-M-E. Time. The other day, my seven-year-old, my victory lap, he asked me, he said, Dad, can we play soccer or go jump on the trampoline? And I looked at him. I was so happy to say, how about both? And he goes, yes. <laughs> Man. You know, my kids, they barely remember the things that I said early in their lives. But, but I know they're going to remember how I made them feel. Great families are playful. Now, here's a second symbol I want to give you. You ready for the second one? Everybody say, I'm ready. All right, here's the second one I'm going to give you. What is this? It's a watering can. Why? Why a watering can? Well, you use water to water flowers and plants and vegetables. In many ways, your family is like a, it's like a garden. You've got to grow it. You've got to develop it. You've got to water it and cultivate it and feed it and weed it. By the way, there's not a garden you ever had that, you, you know, you just planted it and it just grew. Otherwise, it died. You have to weed it. You have to care for it. Some of you, your kids were born, they popped out, and it's like you just think that they should just develop. Some of you with your kids, it's like they're not maturing as fast as you'd like them to. It's like, why are you so loud? Your child's six years old, and you say, why are you acting like a six-year-old? Like, Dad, because I'm six. <laughs> kids take time to develop. Now, here's what I'd say about the watering can, or if you'd write this down. Great families always encourage growth. They encourage growth, and they help each other develop. They encourage the best out of each other. In fact, I'm going to say it to you this way. If you're not a growing family, your family is boring. You're stuck in a rut. You have a boring family. Even Jesus grew. The Bible says in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, that Jesus grew in four ways. It says he grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew in favor with God, and he grew in favor with men. Now, Jesus was 12 years old when this was said. Again, look at these. Wisdom, stature, favor with God and men. Well, what is wisdom? Wisdom has to do with intellectual growth or mental growth. Stature has to do with physical growth. Favor with God has to do with spiritual growth. And favor with men has to do with social growth. And everybody needs to grow in these ways. Here's my question to you. How are you going to be different tomorrow from today? How are you going to be different next year from this year? Guys, listen, does anybody have a bad habit or a sinful struggle or just something they're trying to overcome? Anybody? If you're not raising your hand, you have a struggle. It's called denial. <laughs> of course you have something you should be working on. Who doesn't? I do, you do, we all do. Where is the Holy Spirit convicting you? Where is God leading you? Is there any way that God is moving? If not, you're boring. And you're never going to learn. And there are things that we have to teach our families 
And you can't learn them at school, and you can't learn them at work. You can only learn them in your family. And by the way, it's not just parents teaching their kids. It could be the kids teaching the parents. Parents don't know everything. Newsflash. Parents fail. Parents make mistakes. It's husbands teaching wives. It's wives teaching husbands. And all the women said, amen. So what do you need to learn in your family? First of all, you need to learn how to deal with your emotions. Write that down. You need to learn how to deal with how you feel. This is one of the most important skills in life. In fact, you know, you guys know I haven't uh, actually been teaching for the last several weeks because in November we decided to, yeah, I wanted to, you know, get the plans laid with creative teams and some of the pastors for all of next year and where we're going in our teaching series. And I'm gonna tell you, we've got this one series that we're gonna do and we're just gonna call it All the Feels because we're gonna talk about, we're gonna spend weeks talking about this issue. How do you deal with feelings? How do you... Name your feelings, for example. How do you own up to your feelings? How do you express them to somebody correctly and not destructively? How not to stuff them? Listen, if you don't learn this, you're going to go through life as an emotional cripple. This is the reason why so many marriages split up. Because they don't know, they don't learn in their family how to deal with how they feel correctly, effectively, by the way, one of the craziest things, if you're here and you're a parent, one of the craziest things a parent can say to their kids is, stop crying. Don't cry. Especially you men. If that's what you tell your kids, learn a new way to handle that. Do you know why you tell your kids to stop crying? Because you're uncomfortable with it. Not because they should really stop. Do you realize that God actually gave them the gift of tears? Do you realize that it's actually by God's design that there are reasons you would cry? Instead, you teach a kid, you learn that they're feeling something, and you teach them to say, hey, what are you feeling, buddy? What's going on in there? Boy, if you have a son, you want to give his future wife a present, teach your son to deal with how he feels. And vice versa. How to communicate. Tears are a gift from God. So you don't stuff your emotions. You're going to have problems for the rest of your life. Now, here's the second thing you've got to learn in your family. It's in your family that you've got to learn how to deal with conflict. Second skill, every, every person in a family should learn. How do you deal with life when you get hurt? How do you deal with life when you get mad? Because I'm going to tell you, you're going to get mad. You're going to have problems. In fact, I heard a pastor say it this way. First time I heard this, he said, look, you're going to handle it one of two ways. Either you're, he's talking about dealing with, you know, when someone makes you really mad. He said, either you're a skunk or you're a turtle. He said, skunks, when skunks get upset, they let everybody know it because they just stink up the place. They just spray all over everybody. You know, they get mad and it's like everybody has to know it. But turtles are different. See, turtles like to pull into their shell and isolate. Turtles like to hide their feelings or they fear conflict. You know what's really funny about skunks and turtles? By the way, how many skunks do I have in the, in the room? Come on, show me if you're a skunk. You just spray all. I know some of you are mad. You're going to write me a connection card and spray all over me. <laughs> Stink up the mail in the church. Okay, how many of you are turtles? You know, you'll run from it. You know what's really funny? I've been a pastor for a long time, and I think it's funny that in most marriages, a skunk marries a turtle. A turtle marries a skunk. And it's like they deal with it in two completely opposite ways. 
And I'm just going to say to you that neither of these are necessarily the more godly approach. Both have problems. What else are you going to need to deal with in life? You're going to need to deal with uh, how to handle loss, if you'd write that down. And this is a really big thing, because you're going to have a lot of losses in life. You're going to have big losses. You're going to have small losses. Why? Because nobody wins all the time. You've got to learn how to grieve your losses. You know another board game? Can I show you another one that I played uh, growing up? How many played this game? It's called Shoots and Ladders. Anybody ever play this? Guys, this is a great game because this is like a metaphor for life. It's like sometimes you roll the dice and you get a shoot and you go down. Other times you roll the dice and you get a ladder and you go up. I mean, two rolls, you may go down, down, and then you roll the dice and you get a ladder and you go all the way back up. Sometimes you're ahead of everybody else in your family. Sometimes it's like you've got all the ladders and the other part of your family, all they've got is shoots. And then other times, this part of the family, all they get are shoots and you get the ladders because this, if you want inspiration for life, today you go to Target and say, Shane sent you and you buy shoots and ladders. <laughs> Teach your kids this. I mean, yeah, sometimes you're two rolls behind everybody else, but that's the way life is. Listen to me, guys. Some people think they should never fail. And you know those kind of people that think they should never fail? They're not gracious people. Usually they're judgmental people. They run over people because they've never learned how to be gracious because they never think they should fail at anything. I love this scripture. If you take a look at it, it's in the book of Proverbs. It says, a righteous person may fall. How many times? Now, seven to the Hebrews in the Bible, seven is called the number of completion or the number of perfection. You know what this is saying? A righteous person may be a perfect failure. <laughs> Why? Because a righteous person does what? He gets back up again, even if he fails. See, shoots and ladders will teach you to do that. Now, what else? What else do you learn in your family? Write this down. You learn what, what values matter most in the world. You learn what is important, and you learn what is not important. By the way, would you agree that the world today and culture are teaching our families values that are not very good? Anybody agree with that one? What is the world teaching us? Well, first of all, the world is teaching us that image is everything. We need to appear successful. We need to appear that we're happy all the time. We need to appear that we have it all together. All that matters, it doesn't matter what your character is, all that matters is that you don't get caught. It's just how you look. Or for example, 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 <laughs> that was funny. The world teaches the more money you have, the more important you are, the more significant your life is. And that's not true. The world teaches you that everything is about sex, and it's not. So you, it's, it's, it's in a family that you gotta learn this stuff. Now here's the fifth thing that we learn in our families, if you'd write this down. We learn about good habits. We learn about what habits need to be developed. Why? Because our habits determine our character. So I'm going to ask you, what kind of habits are you teaching one another? By the way, the whole family's in on this. You know, I, my oldest, he's, he's here with us this morning, and one of the things I always appreciated about him, that all the way back into junior high school, he, um, he would teach me things. And I don't mean just video games. 
There were times that I'd say to my seventh grader, my seventh grade son, I'd say, man, I, I'm having a hard time connecting with the Lord because every time I read my Bible, it's like I'm preparing for a sermon and it feels like a job and I'm having trouble connecting with God. You know what he says to me? He goes, Dad, it's because you're not listening to music. You gotta turn on the fire. It was wintertime. It's about this season. So you gotta turn on the fire. You gotta listen to music. So you know what he does, my seventh grader? Seventh graders are experts at making playlists. So he makes me a whole playlist so I could just worship and sit in front of the fire. You need music. By the way, that's biblical. David needed music. Saul needed music. What's the example that you're setting for each other? Because the best Christmas gift that you could give is your example. By the way, again, we're going to keep reminding you of your habits because when we kick off the new year in January, we're going to be talking about how does your life need to change and how anybody's life can change and how you can make 2022 different. Jesus showed us the power of example, by the way. Notice what it says here in John 13. He says, since I, your Lord, the teacher, have washed your feet, you, do, you ought to wash each other's feet. Since I did, you do. Listen, parents, set the example for your kids. Show them how to spend time with Jesus. Show them how to be faithful to God. And by the way, your kids want to see it. It's not up to your Sunday school class to teach these values first to your kids. It's up to you. And they want to see it in your life. Don't just talk to them. For some, for some kids, they look at some parents and their parents are just one big mouth. Just talking. It's just talk, 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 talk. But notice, when God commands parents in Deuteronomy, look at what it says first. It says, first, you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. It's not enough to talk about them. You've got to commit yourself to them, but then you can talk. Then repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road. It doesn't mean you don't talk about it, but you should be wholeheartedly committed to it. And notice the time you're spending with your kids when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. But, you know what doesn't work with, your, with, with families? Whether you're a parent or a or a, or a brother, or a sister, or a son. Let me tell you what doesn't work. Constantly criticizing people doesn't work. Husbands, wives, listen to me. Stop nagging each other all the time. Stop putting each other down. Some of you, before you came to church today, you were ripping into each other. Stop that nonsense. Stop constantly focusing on the negative and condemning and complaining about each other. Listen, that is totally ineffective in helping somebody change. You know why? Because when you criticize, you're always focusing on what you don't want. Why don't you start focusing on what you do want and setting the example? That's why I love how Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, specifically to parents. You say, man, you're talking about parenting a lot. What's well, in the Bible? Paul talks about parenting. Look what he says here in this next scripture. He says, and now a word to you parents. Don't keep scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Boy, I've done that. We got to stop that as parents. Rather, bring them up with the loving discipline the Lord himself approves with suggestions and godly advice. Now, let me give you the third symbol. This is my favorite. You ready? Third symbol for the family. Are you ready? Drum roll, please, on your knees. Here we go. Ready, set, go, go, go. You're online. You just tap, 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 tap. Okay, here we go. Check this out. What is this? Raincoat. This is my oldest son's raincoat when he was a little boy. Isn't that cool? 
What's a raincoat for? Protection. Let me show you this verse, if you just take a look at it. Go ahead and throw this next one up on the screen. Look what it says. It says, let's read it together. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. And this means, what does this mean? This means that good things and bad things come into everybody's life. Whether you're doing life right or you're doing life wrong. Listen to me. The next time you think you have a problem that you think, well, God must be punishing me, you're wrong. It's not God punishing you. God says he sends rain on the just and the unjust. It rains on the good and the bad. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. We live in a broken world. But when you go through a storm, you're going to need some protection. You're going to need some covering. So if you just write this down, great families need to protect each other. Great families need to protect each other. See, sometimes it's the child going through a storm, but sometimes it's mom that's going through the storm. Sometimes it's dad that's going through the storm. In my family, right now, I'd say dad is the one that's been going through the storm. I'd say it's me. But it doesn't matter which of the family members are going through it. You've got to protect each other. Maybe it's grandma that's going through the storm. Maybe it's grandpa. You know, some of us, we forget about grandma and grandpa. That's why I like Psalm 71. Would you just look here on the screen? Psalm 71, it says it this way. And now in my old age, don't set me aside. Don't abandon me when my strength is failing. You know, maybe you've entered that stage of life where the roles have actually reversed. Maybe there was a time that your... Maybe there was a time that your parent wiped your nose, but now you need to be wiping their nose. Don't forget them. Maybe it's time that you stepped up and made life more than about you because families are for life, and I'm telling you, God is watching. Do you know God says a person who can't take care of their own family is worse than an unbeliever? Now, I don't know how you get worse than an unbeliever, but that's what God says. Now, let me give you the fourth symbol, then we'll be done. Are you ready? This one's near and dear to my heart. What's this? It's a globe. Now, why a globe? How in the world does a globe represent a family? Here's why. Because great families don't just care about themselves. Great families, they care about others. Great families care about the world. Guys, listen. I want to say something to you. And I want you to be careful of it. The average families in this life, in America, average families are self-centered. Average families only care about us. I care about my kid in the little league. I don't care about anybody else's kid. I care about my family and what we get. And listen, I'm going to say to you, if that's you and that's your family, then you're going to find in the end that you haven't had the great family that you want. You're going to be disappointed. You will have an average family. Because average families only care about themselves. You want to know the secret of taking your family from average to great? Is that you begin to care about other people. You see that your life is bigger than you. And write this down. Fourth thing. 
great families serve God and they serve others. Actually, we serve God by serving others. You want to know how to serve God? Love people. You know, Jesus says, if you, if you fed someone, you fed me. Jesus says, if you visited someone in prison, you have visited me. Jesus says, if you've clothed someone, who have you clothed? Him, Jesus. Jesus says, you want to know how to serve God? You start serving people. And this is what we need to do as families. By the way, our core classes teach all of these principles. That's why we remind you regularly to go to our core class 101, our core class 201, our core class 301. You can sign up for that on your connection card that's in your notes. Just let us know you want to go to the core class. You should go. You know, in many ways, my mom and dad taught this to me. Now listen to me. My parents weren't perfect. But my parents did teach me how to serve people. You know, my dad, I grew up, and my, my mom and dad, I, I, they came to Christ when I was about seven years old. And they immediately began to do street ministry and take care of the poor and the disadvantaged. And, and I'll never forget because they used to take me out and they used to preach the gospel in parking lots and streets. In fact, it'd be funny. I, I didn't bring pictures, but I could show you pictures of me as a seven-year-old boy singing on a flatbed truck gospel songs to people. My dad used to take me into the Fresno County Jail because he was a chaplain there and I would actually sing to the inmates that came to chapel. You know, and, and I loved it. They were clapping, and they're like, man, this little boy's got rhythm. I mean, it was cool. It was cool. My parents, they used to go around and do these tent revivals where, where uh, they literally, they put up these tents, and they preached the gospel. And it was a time in our Central Valley in Fresno where there were lots of people migrating, uh, immigrating from Laos and Cambodia. And there were like, you know, 15 people to one apartment. They didn't have enough food to, to take care of themselves. So my family would open up our doors and we'd have their sons and daughters come live with us. And weeks at a time, I'd have new brothers and sisters. And I'll never forget because we'd take them to the park or we'd take them places. And I'm gonna tell you what my parents taught me. They taught me that life isn't just about me. They got me to see that I'm not the center of the world, that there is a great big world out there why I like Hebrews chapter 10. It says, let's see how inventive that we can be in encouraging and loving one another and helping out, especially at Christmas, but all year long. There's a great example in the book of Acts. It says at Caesarea chapter 10, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion, and he was a leader in this Italian regiment. And it says, he and all his family were devout, and they were God-fearing. I move to the next scripture, if you want to put that on the screen. And it says this. I've already gone to the next one. It says, generously, they gave to those in need, and they prayed to God regularly. Now, here's what's interesting. He says, he did this, and his whole family did that. What an incredible legacy. I mean, if there was a book that was written, and somebody dug it up 2,000 years from now, wouldn't you want them to say that about your family? I would. What a testimony. Are you modeling that? I want to show you this picture. A couple more things and we'll be done, I promise. Show you this picture. This is a friend of mine. His name's Rico. Everybody say hi to Rico. And Rico comes to Tuesday, 6 a.m., early morning prayer. It's always a great time if you want to join us. Um, God is up at 6 a.m., by the way. You're welcome to join us in the lounge. And uh, you can join us on Zoom, of course. But... Uh, 
Rico, I, I, I'm not going to share all about his family, but Rico's a North Pointer. He's a North Point uh, attender. He's been involved with us for a long time. He lives in Madeira, and he's going through some major life stuff. His family, in fact, just pray for him. We'll say it's unspoken. I don't want to share all of his personal things, but he's going through it. But, you know, every year he does these outreaches for families. He has two businesses. He uses excess funds in his businesses to constantly do outreach into his community. Constantly does this. North Point gets to participate in this. So here he is, and by the way, through the giving that you do at North Point and all your generosity, we like to be involved with our members in doing ministry. So this was all these turkeys that North Point were able to give to him, and they just last weekend served 900 families in the, in the community of Madera. Isn't that awesome? By the way, uh, Rico is going through, I said, some major stuff. He's going to do another Christmas outreach that we're going to be a part of. Or, you know, I've been telling, now, now, I guess my question is, is that what your family looks like? You know, I know a family in our church that uh, once a year, uh, the Padilla family, I outed them. They have to forgive me too. But once a year, they would uh, get together with their kids, their children, and they'd take them on what they called a family mission trip. They'd go to Mexico. They'd go with Habitat for Humanity and build houses. But once a year, the family took a family mission trip together. Not just a vacation, but a mission trip. What an awesome example. Or I've been telling you guys about my good friends, the Speth family, and how Dan Speth, their dad, got a conviction from the Lord that he wants to work with people with disabilities. So he happened to come into some extra money and he bought and has put together this amazing wheelchair. Check this out. Now, here's the coolest thing about this. You guys can stop right there. Here's the coolest thing about this is that, in fact, let me step over here so everybody can see here. But uh, can you angle that so that these guys over here can see just a little bit? There we go. But... I'll tell you what, guys, uh, he got together, and you, can you hold the mic there for him, Ashton? Yeah. Tell everybody about how this all started real briefly here. So I saw, I, I'm sorry, I heard a radio spot about a pastor in another state that was doing this because he went on a hike, and handicapped people couldn't go on it with him. So he was convicted to buy one, and he started a ministry, and I wanted to find out how he did it. And then in the middle of finding that out, I got an investment that came back to me, and now you see what I bought with the investment. Isn't that amazing? Now, he could have said, hey, you know, he could have said, man, I'm going to use that money on, on something different. But he said, I'm going to invest it. And he is leading his family to do this incredible ministry. And uh, he, by the way, this new ministry at North Point. Here's our ministry leader right here. <laughs> you don't have a ministry until you have a minister. And everybody's called to be a minister in some way. And tell people how they can be involved. So if you put um, C on your connection cards. The connection cards, then we're going to know that you either want to volunteer or you want to be, uh, go on the, one, one of the rides with us. The second Saturday of each month, we're going to meet, coming up December 11th, we're going to meet here at 2.30 and just get people used to working with this machine. And then going forward, we're going to take folks on adventures that otherwise couldn't go. Now, here's what would be cool. Some of you guys, you have the means. You should go buy one of these chairs and add to this hiking team and take out dozens of people with disabilities on the greatest hikes of their life that could never go. That'd be amazing. You talk to this guy. Let's thank them for coming out. They're awesome. You guys are awesome. Now, guys, look at this scripture here. Watch this, 1 Corinthians. It says, now, about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. 
Notice this. This is talking about giving to the Lord. It says, on the first day of every week, that's a Sunday, by the way, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Of course, we teach about that all the time. But here's what I want for you to notice. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men and women of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know, now watch this. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Wouldn't it be amazing if God would say that about your family? That you have devoted yourselves and your household to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and the labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus, aren't you glad we don't have these names today, by the way? I was glad when they arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Now, if the scripture were being written today, it might be remembered, the Speth family. Because that's the kind of family that does this. And I just want to say to you, do you want legacy for your family? Guys, listen. Great families are not perfect families, but they are intentional families. You don't become great by accident. You become great by choice. Making choices and making decisions and making commitments and, yes, making sacrifices. My challenge today to you this Christmas is no matter what stage of life you're in in your family, you're going to say today, I'm going to make the rest of it the best of it. I'm going to make my family the best it can be, no matter where I am. You may be a grandparent. You may be a child. You're going to say, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to live the way that God's called me to live. Whatever days you've got remaining, those will be committed to the Lord by choice. Joshua 24, I'll close with this. Joshua says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But Joshua says, but as for me and my what? My family. We're going to serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every person here, every human person that needs to know you and walk with you. I pray you'd reveal yourself to them in significant ways today. Bless them in Jesus' name. I pray especially for those who are here and they've never made a commitment to you. Maybe they've never had faith, but you've revealed yourself in a way into their heart that they don't understand. I pray they'd make a commitment to you and they'd see new life emerge. I pray for every believer here that they would renew their commitment to be the people you've called us to be. We are citizens of high heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Help us to live. Jesus, thank you for the church. Thank you for this church and the privilege to be a part of it, a member of it. God, I love you. I'm thankful for that. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.